1: Hello and welcome to the Raptors Weekly Podcast. I'm your Sampson Samson Folk, and today, a very nice episode. As you know, we've, we're starting this podcast late because we're just having such a good time visiting with each other, catching up. Vivek Jacob, dear friend of mine. He does the Raptors over at raptors.com, soccer, tennis at CBC, Complex, Sportsnet. He's, he's everywhere talking about every sport because he's the guy who knows a lot of things. But today, we're going to focus mostly on the Raptors. He was there for Kyle's return. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Pascal All-NBA, which we've both written about and dove into. And uh, we're just going to talk hoops. How are you doing, man?
0: I'm doing great, my dear friend, Samson. Uh, (laughs) It was great to catch up before we started this. And yeah, I think, you know, you look back on what that night was against the Miami Heat and Kyle Lowry. uh, It was... It was kinda of, kind of like a full circle moment for myself too, just thinking back to you know where I was when he joined the team uh, and and then you know all those games that I've watched with my brother who was also in the arena um and so to be part of media now and and be in that press room pregame post game um and be part of it as a professional, (laughs) as opposed to when he started out. Uh, It's pretty cool that I look back on all of it.
1: What was the the daily function of a Raptors game before you were doing the the media shtick?
0: Uh, It was meeting up through the university days. It was definitely just like meeting up with friends at a bar. Uh, A lot of games watched at Cooper's Pub in Mississauga because they used to have... I believe it was a 25 cent a wing deal, uh, on game nights. And so obviously being cheap university students we were like, we're just going to eat wings every other day. Um, and that was the university experience. And then, yeah, you go over, uh, you start working and you're still meeting up when you can, um, watching games at home, uh, watching games with my brother. Uh, I mean, all throughout, right from the time I've come here, it's mostly been watching with my brother. So we have a lot of shared experiences when it comes to this team. And yeah, and then at a certain point, it was like, okay, I'm going to start a blog. And that's when you kind of get more serious about it. And here we
1: are now. You know, if you had asked, like, I don't know, a guy like Doug Smith or one of the the people who represent the old guard of Raptors Media, if starting a blog had been what kind of started them, got them on the road to actually being in-house covering the Raptors, mm-hmm. would just blow their mind. So it's it's so interesting to hear that, like you know, Blake, I don't think started his own blog, but started writing for Raptors Republic. So many people just started writing for Raptors Republic, but the formation of this website is just dudes blogging, mm-hmm.
0: dudes rock
1: a Jace behavior. <laughs> <laughs> Although, okay, let's let's skim over this though, because like nobody cares. So you're in the arena, Kyle yeah. Lowry's there as well. He he strides into the room that I know you were in, unbuttons the jacket and says, Damn, it's hard to look this good. So yeah. what are you feeling? How what's the what's the ambiance? How's it feel?
0: Yeah, and Alvin Williams was there too as a member of media. Again, you talk about things changing over time. Alvin yeah. w- Williams. Uh, he's looking over and he's like, uh, uh, Kyle is saying, Hey, I definitely look better than you. (laughs) He looks over (laughs) at Alvin and says, "Uh, I've definitely seen that suit before. (laughs) Uh, And Alvin retorts back with, yes, you have. (laughs) And so obviously Kyle was decked out, um, had the championship ring on. And you could just see someone who was ready to soak it all in and show his appreciation for the city the country the team uh from top to bottom right like he talked from about everyone from Masai to bobby to the players who are ushering in this new era of raptors basketball and scotty barnes so it's just a very wholesome pregame game presser
1: so you're somebody who. You've worked these practices, these games prior to Kyle leaving, but you were also there for some of Kyle's most curmudgeon adjacent behavior because Kyle was known as a guy who was a bit like, I don't know what the exact term is, something with media where it's kind of like a game of cat and mouse. Like he he has a contempt for media because of how it treated him in the past, the same way that, you know, some players do and deservedly so. And was this, you know, was he still carrying around that contempt except more playful? Or was this an embrace of everybody in Toronto, including the media?
0: No, I would say this was an embrace of everyone. Uh, And I think especially, you know, with how thoughtful he was with his answers, playful, uh, genuine. Usually Kyle is the type that if you give him a window to give a yes, no answer, he will absolutely just say yes or no, and and in some ways he's just challenging you too, right? It's like, hey, you gave me an out, and I'm going to take it. But <laughs> <laughs> it, it, there were questions that you know that, that he very easily could have just you know given a very short answer, uh, but he didn't. And so I think that thoughtfulness, that appreciation, and I think you know when he looks back on the nine years. There maybe there were moments where early on in his career he was being covered unfairly, but maybe now he looks back over the nine and says, "Yeah, it was largely positive." Uh, and obviously, winning a championship will do a lot to change that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I think, uh, I think the appreciation for everyone is probably what stands out most to me.
1: That that was kind of, you know. Hearing colleagues in the media talk about it, reading about it over the years, and seeing it happen, and just taking context clues, that was kind of my my takeaway is that Kyle is a very situationally aware, and that
0: Mm
1: he and you know there's a bunch of different things you can point to over the years that make this case, but it made sense to me that he was like, it's Kyle Lowry Day in Toronto, like this is as much a day for me as it is the people who want to celebrate. You know what i've done here and everybody Mm -hmm. gets a piece so like you know the the veil of you know scrutiny against anybody who it might be there is dropped let's sit down together and let's like have a nice time that that seemed like something i expected to happen although i wasn't there but i'm glad it happened for everybody in the room and he'll obviously remember it for a long time but uh what's the situation for you was it was it an important night
0: yeah, it was a really important night. And one quick thing I'll also add is I think we've seen this Kyle Lowry ever since the championship. I think part of why that 2019-20 season was so special was because you saw those games where he'd just go off and he's playing on the road and he's showing off that imaginary ring on his finger after a big shot. Um, <laughs> and moments like that, It it just showed that the weight was off his shoulders, right? He had gotten the respect uh, that he knew he deserved that a lot of people in this city knew he deserved, but maybe he didn't get you know, across the United States and uh, wherever else in US media. And so I think we've seen that version of Kyle since the championship. And uh, for me, I think just having that appreciation, for Kyle Lowry uh, to see what that would look like and you know I, I had to do radio pregame with Sportsnet and I was like I don't know how I'm gonna find a quiet spot <laughs> on this night <laughs> um, but I, f- I found the quietest spot that I could find and I did it and then as soon as you went into the arena You know, they introduce uh, the Raptors came onto the court first. And obviously everyone's cheering. And then as soon as the Miami Heat come out, the crowd is going nuts. Uh, They're cheering, you know, Kyle laying the ball up in pregame warmups. And you get to that tribute video and you see all the moments and you see, (laughs) you know, you see his body transition as well from what it was uh his first couple of years with the team to uh what he became and was affectionately called skinny Kyle uh yeah the appreciation from the crowd that standing ovation that he got for him to be there with his kids too again you talk about the growth of Kyle Lowry uh into a man from where he was when he first joined the team those kids uh seeing them growing up that's been part of it too and so for them to be with him at center court it made for an incredible moment. And then you have Fred and Kyle going back and forth, going at each other, uh, just like they would in practice. All of that just added so much to the moment.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, that's, it is interesting to think about it through the lens of the past, like to have his kids there when the Raptors themselves for like a couple of years labeled themselves as like the team of fathers. And that's, you know, that's why they had so much success is that Becoming dads put their lives into perspective and made them, you know, fine tune their approach to basketball. And, you know, maybe they were just like gassing up the media so they got to write better stories. But these like these are things they talked about. And it's it's cool to see somebody who centered being a father as so much of his life get to celebrate, you know, one of the biggest moments of it with his kids. So, yeah. And yeah, the the dueling, the dueling mini point guards was probably the most exciting part of the first half. And then I guess we could talk about the game a little bit. Kyle won and the Heat won. And it was largely, you know, per my view, because of the dribble penetration of Tyler Hero and Kyle Lowry, Kyle's Uh uncanny ability to reset and rearrange driving and passing lanes that the teams think they have them covered. And then Kyle switches the lane himself and starts backtracking up the court in a half court possession and then swings the ball to a guy Who nobody even thought that they needed to defend and the heat hit i think and 12 threes 12 of 18 in the uh in the second half and the raptors Mm. lose what what are your flashbulb moments from uh, the actual gameplay yeah i think
0: you've hit the nail on the head there and you think about those moments where the raptors look to trap and you know it, it's not so many times that they were able to trap necessarily in the middle of the floor and that's where kyle is wise enough to say hey how far can I drag them out. Before making the pass and making whoever's helping have to scramble that much more and and that's when you see that extra pass lead to the open man, uh, the, I mean the raptors probably. Uh, could have had their defensive coverages better aligned, but those are the little things where. In terms of gravity as a ball handler where you can make the defense shift one way to where that recovery becomes that much more challenging. Um, I think that's probably the thing that stands out to me Um, and that's just Kyle you know game within the game, knowing uh, what the Raptors are going to try to do um, and how he can best manipulate
1: that. Two of the actually i'll say three so uh, actually we'll do this. So i'll I'll name some some a couple of favorite things I had from the game last night, and I'll make sure I don't steal all of them, and then you can you can name some <laughs> too. Or actually, actually, you go first, some favorite plays, let's say, and then I'll, I'll see if uh, if you take all of them, then uh, we'll see where I stand with picking some. But your favorite plays from last night
0: So one i w- I will definitely take is uh Fred driving into the paint. And Kyle Lowry vertically contesting, but Fred making the shot anyway and then having that wry smile for him and sort of join back and forth and saying, Hey, I got you there.
1: The the contrast of Fred's like calm, you know, like just good friend smile, like, Yeah, I got you, with Scotty flexing and screaming at the top of his (laughs) lungs next to him is so funny and such a such a like a great encapsulation of the raptors like this steady Freddy thing and then mm. just this you know at times i don't want to be offensive to scotty but like batshit rookie because scotty is like <laughs> doing scotty attempts to do things that you know many players won't attempt to do on the floor and he expresses himself in a unique way as well um the the collection of Pascal Siakam euro steps to try Mm. like hell to avoid kyle lowry's looming charge and yes he made two of them one was towards the end of the game it was an end one the other one wasn't an end one but pascal is basically 45 degrees he is leaned you know ass over tea kettle and just pushing basically with his elbow adjacent to the floor He's getting low. He's trying to get around Kyle and making these shots. And I tweeted this out, but I felt like that was a window into years and years of practices. Like I, there's no way they haven't been doing this.
0: Oh, no question. I mean, watching those plays, I mean, I'm sure Pascal, like, you know, coming into the game is like, Hey, I know he's going to be there. I am going to go around him. He is not (laughs) going to draw the charge on me. That is absolutely not happening (laughs) tonight. And, you know, Kyle is on the other end of the spectrum where he's saying, hey, I'm going to get Pascal, (laughs) you know, not once, not twice. You know, he's probably thinking about that. Um, And so to see it play out the way it did was awesome. The other one I'll throw in there is uh, another scouting report play. (laughs) It's Chris Boucher
1: (laughs) going hell for leather
0: at Kyle. Kyle just faking him out, sidestep, knocks down the three. Um, just as soon as you saw Chris Boucher rushing out, you knew what was going to happen. <laughs> and uh, of course it did happen.
1: Yep. Uh, there were some like quintessential Kyle Lowry plays that were like, well, it's actually, this one is kind of like a variation of Chris Paul play, but you just hit the brakes in your own mm-hmm. backcourt and he almost got Pascal with it, but Pascal jumped out of the way. The camera kind of cut away from it, it was switching angles from on player to the regular court side um, one or bird's eye view one, but mm-hmm. you know, it you still could see it and he ended up getting um, Pascal to pile all over him in jail later on in the game too, which was classic Lowry because of course.
0: Yeah. No. And you wanted to see all of it, right? I, I think mm-hmm. there were some people that were watching and like, who are obviously diehard Raptors fans and saying, Oh man, this is really annoying. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But I, you know, from my side, it was like, you wanted to see those things and see, you know, this Raptors team, at least the core pieces that should know about it better than anyone, how they would deal with it. And so Mm -hmm. um, I did think they you know, big picture, I did think they dealt with all the emotion of the night pretty well because you know, I know it's a long time to go back, but that home opener, obviously the the first game at Scotiabank Arena in 600 days, they didn't handle that one very well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to come out and throw the first punch uh, and play a really good first half, uh, I think that was, you know, if you wanted to look at two uh, goal posts and how they've shifted, uh, I think that was a good sign.
1: Yeah, they even, they put in, an F word on the uh, the broadcast because they went into um, you, you wouldn't have seen this because you're at the game but on the broadcast no. they the camera went into the Raptors pregame huddle and you got the tail end of Fred saying we don't care about anything that's happening over there like leave it leave it now he said let's go get an effing win but it like it came through so crystal, crystal clear on the broadcast <laughs> I was like Ooh. you know obviously I don't care but yeah. you know it's like oh some people will care about that which I thought yeah. was funny, but yeah, they, they definitely, they steeled their minds and prepared them for this one.
0: Yeah. And that's nice to see. I mean, the theme of this season has been to see the growth of so many of these players within their own individual realm uh, get to a place that has this team looking pretty good heading into the playoff season.
1: Mm-hmm. And so let's do, let's do growth and looking pretty good. And the intersection of those things for the Raptors seems like Pascal Siakam. You and I both wrote pieces, you for Raptors.com, me for Raptors Republic. And uh-huh. you know, both will be linked, by the way, listener. So just go to, you know, the article or just go to Vivek's Twitter page, what, you know, whichever you prefer. You can go to the article or Vivix Twitter page. I don't care. But I'll tell you this much. We both wrote about it, and I think he now. I talked about this with Sean Woodley on you know a separate podcast. But if they're moving around the forwards, the guards and centers, I don't really think Pascal has a very strong case. I just it's really tough to catch up to guys. But if they're sticking to the forwards or forwards thing and voters kind of recognize the way that it's gone before, then Pascal, I think, has in almost an ironclad case. And so operating under the assumption of hey votes are going to look similar to years past what is the case you make for pascal
0: i think first off votes looking similar to years past is going to play out because i saw that the way the voting is going to work is your the position in which you garner the most votes is the position in which you will be applied to the ballot. Mm-hmm. So so it's going to be very difficult for voters as much as they might want Jokic and Embiid to be on the first team to actually have it pan out unless they go to an extreme level of colluding uh, to make sure that happens. And I, obviously I don't see that being the case. seeing how they have pretty busy jobs. Um, so I do think we're going to end up you know, with uh, Jokic and Embiid, one on the first team, the other on the second team, because they probably won't get, you know, the most votes uh, at the forward spot. And so they'll both be centers. Um, I've seen some stuff about Luka Doncic, maybe going in, uh, getting votes uh, as a forward, but I doubt that'll happen as well. I think for all intents and purposes, he is a guard. Um, and the DeMarta Rosen one is probably the most interesting. Yeah. Because I know that he was uh listed as a guard for the all-star game. But I don't think people view him that way. And and so I think that's one where he could potentially get more votes as a forward than a guard. So that's potentially something that would impact Siakam. Uh, but beyond that, you know, a lot uh, towards the end of my piece, I kind of made the case for why Pascal Siakam has had uh, a better season than Jimmy Butler. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's where I looked at what Pascal has been at for pretty much since pretty much December. And he's been, in my eyes, growing into an elite playmaker. His scoring has been extremely good since the All Star break. It's been very good before that. Um, And then I touched on things like the spacing on offer for him versus the spacing on offer uh, for Jimmy Butler with the Miami Heat. Um, And then, and, and, one thing that I found interesting as I was looking at those two players was uh, the mid-range game and the fact that Pascal Siakam has had a better mid-range game on offer this season than Jimmy Butler was another thing that stood out to me because they're both very good around the basket.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it's um it brings to the idea of what your team necessitates of you and how you succeed in roles that aren't your ideal situation but the ideal situation for your team. And that's probably been the most interesting thing about Siakam this season is that he's taken a role that isn't ideal for his play style. And he started to thrive within it because he, there's a year now. Well, actually much longer than a year between the last time he was selected, the last season where he was selected for all NBA and his game looks significantly different in the places he's getting on the floor How much of it is dependent on his own creation and, you know, the teammates around him, like the Raptors went from being Mori ball to now they are almost the inverse of it. The Raptors, as far as the type of live dribble shots they took, where they took shots from on the floor, led by Kyle Lowry, three-pointers and layups. And with a burgeoning three-pointer game, Pascal and obviously layups getting to the rim, that fits so well. But now the Raptors slow the game down so much, they don't get that many easy baskets. And if they do, you know, typically Pascal's the guy passing people into those. And so mm-hmm. he is surviving on a diet of only difficult baskets. And he's basically giving you, you know, I think he's approaching 57% true shooting, which is, that's absurd for the type of shots he's forced to take all the time and the attention. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you framed the conversation in your piece around like, spacing and the type of shooting that surrounds him and there are some proprietary stats that will go into boiling down those those stats into kind of like a number how much spacing does a person usually work with how much gravity do they do they have themselves and pascal works with hardly any spacing and has an immense amount of gravity himself so he is the straw that stirs the drink for the raptors and he's doing so in a way that's completely alien Because, you know, he's being forced into positions that have never been his go to at the NBA level, and he's still succeeding. So even outside of just trying to get that all NBA spot and the, the case you make for beating Butler at his own game, being better than Butler from mid range is such an easy way to frame the conversation because that is Butler's whole thing is the mid range playmaking. And Pascal even, you know, emulating some value close to that really makes it a huge win for him. In in addition to however many minutes he's played, way more. And because he hasn't missed a game since December 28th, then he's played almost 200 more minutes than second place in that span. It's just this season for him, starting out slow and not even in a way that was his fault, having the trade rumors in the offseason having some of the fan base say that, you know, because the Raptors had a five game winning streak against like Indiana and Washington early on the season, that the team, (laughs) that the team was better without him just such a strange twilight zone uh, type of place to exist and live for Pascal Siakam. And it's a good Mm -hmm. thing. He doesn't pay much attention to the like media and you know what fans say, but to come out of it, progressing as a player at this rate. I don't even think it's, you know, there's an exciting conversation to say he'll be all NBA, but even past that is to say the progression that everybody thought was kind of capped is not even close to being so.
0: Yeah. And I think this kind of goes back to the other part of my piece where I think ever since 2020 March, we've let, what's amounted to about what was it 71 games ish yeah uh sort of dictate the narrative on pascal siakam and i think when you weigh the body of work when you see the ascension of pascal siakam up to that point i think that was really unfair i think you know appreciating the nuance of Hey, this was a guy who got stuck in his condo, tried to get out, tried to get a visa to the United States and couldn't and wanted to do everything within his control to play basketball and be ready, Um, didn't have those things. And I think that largely contributed to the struggles that we saw in the bubble. Um, And then I think a lot of the team failures were attributed to him in Tampa as well, where There was individual growth with the playmaking, but um, if it wasn't translating to wins, uh, those clutch moments where the ball's going in and out um, on those finishes around the basket, those create these like visceral memories where you're thinking, oh, this guy is just not the same guy anymore. And I think now with the return to normalcy, uh, we get to see that uh, he's he's actually even better.
1: Much better. Yeah, like as you said, it was it was slow growth, but it was, you know, most, most people want results before they recognize growth. It's why, you know, Chris Boucher basically won his minutes over a, like a two-month stretch by like 200 points. And it was only towards the back end of February that anybody started saying, oh, he's like a good bench player now. Even though it was true as early as, you know, like the middle of December, he had started to turn the corner. And it's like people just need a little bit more than what's actually happening on the court. They need it to happen on the court. They need it to connect to wins and then, or, or big time statistics. And then they mm-hmm. need people to talk about it. And Zach Lowe putting like the Boucher and precious that thing in his, his 10 things was good. Um, people finally starting to talk about Pascal Siakam as an all NBA guy, again, instead of, you know, Guys like Bill Simmons saying, you know, like is this the worst contract in the NBA? I wouldn't trade you know <laughs> Al Horford for this guy. you know these these weird conversations that were being had finally returned to normalcy and get him in a place where he's getting the respect he deserves. so uh pretty cool. It's nice to see a guy reclaim um, not even form, but just uh, reputation uh the league over
0: it's beautiful it's great it's great to see, and I think the other thing that you know people like you, Lewis, Blake, myself, were all mindful of as well was that once Kawhi left, there was going to be a lot of information gathering for him before he could actually legitimately do something with it uh, or, you know, do something that looked extremely efficient and uh, super productive
1: with it. And now we're seeing that. Well, yeah, that's that's basically the thing. And for the things I'm about to say, this is, No shade at OG Ananobi whatsoever. I talk about him with too much nuance to have this taken and run with, but OG, how he's trying to make that step into stardom and the, you know, start-stop aspect to it where he's making, you know, he's progressing in this way, but he's now regressing in another and it's a constant exchange of like improvement and regression, improvement and regression. That's how difficult it is to become a star. OG is trying and might not make it. Pascal just made it. Like he just did it. He t- he made the jump after being the 27th pick in the draft, after starting basketball late, he kind of just did it. And then the the you know, the NBA adjusted his pull-up three-point shot. He was making like 12-15% less of them and he had to readjust his whole game again to a new team context, all of this kind of stuff and he's still making that jump. He like um Yasmin Duola, you know, three years ago maybe coined him as a, a kinetic savant in that there's mm-hmm. just a lot of things he can do physically. And he's just he's so capable of emulating things he wants to see done on the court, working to get the, you know, the muscle memory in and then just exacting it. Like we talked about the sidestepping Kyle Lowry on a charge, you know, at game speed with how good we know Kyle Lowry is at taking charges. That is no simple feat. That is an that is extremely adaptive physical procedure to undergo. It's just you got to do a lot of things to get into a space where you can hit a shot after doing that. And he's just a guy who gets into spaces, reacts to stimuli, and makes stuff move, makes stuff happen. And, yeah, it's, it's been a really cool thing.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't really have much to add to that. I think, I think <laughs> you've hit on everything that we need to talk
1: about with Pascal there. Which is, which is a good thing, because we're, we're about to get into something else. But not until we get this message in from our friends over at Jack Health. Want to get to the top of your game? Jack Health at www.jack.health is an online service for men's health that handles the doctor's appointment, the prescription, and the shipping, which, by the way, is free. All you need to do is stay at home and relax. They've got stuff for sexual health, daily health, hair and skin, you name it order what you want, fill out some questions, and get it stripped straight to you. Skip having to lay out all your medical issues in the clinic waiting room and keep your private business private. Free shipping and easy prescriptions. Boost your game and do it all from the privacy of your own home at www.jack.health. Okay, now that we're covered with all of our health, uh, Vivek, we have to talk about Scotty Barnes and the health, the status of his rookie of the year situation. (laughs) <laughs> uh I put out a video for Yahoo Sports kind of detailing, you know, somebody dubbed it ah yes, uh some sort of hipster basketball takes, exactly what I needed. Maybe that's what it was, maybe you know, maybe it was, you know, better than that, but I tell you this much, it's there. What's your case for Scotty as the rookie of the year?
0: My case for Scotty as rookie of the year is the offensive repertoire being significantly ahead of Evan Mobley's uh, I think when you look at his capabilities, no one thought, I mean, he was called, someone called him a zero level scorer, and that kind of set the expectations where even myself based on the little that I had seen was thinking, okay, you know, he might need some time coming off the bench. He's probably not going to average, you know, double digits in scoring this year. Uh, and we'll see what he can offer defensively because that's where a lot of the reputation uh, seems to be coming from. And then the season starts out and he is miles ahead offensively than defensively. And uh, you look at him working around the edges of the paint, uh, him having uh, you know that post and hook, him having the mid-range, Uh, where he's able to just rise up pretty comfortably. The shot looks pretty clean uh, from the mid-range. Obviously, there's a long way to go with the three-point shot. But, uh, you know, you've talked about his ability to kind of freelance um, around those areas and create space using his body uh, in different ways. And I think he's really impressed with that aspect of it. Uh, Mobley's edge is obviously on the defensive end. Um, but I would say that the gap between Scotty and Mobley offensively outweighs what the gap between Mobley and Scotty is defensively now. Uh, I don't think that was the case for the first few months of the season. Um, but I think Scotty, uh, beyond, you know, maybe when he gets switched onto a guard, uh and gets blown by uh has come quite a long way defensively as well
1: well that's that's the interesting part is that scotty for the first time raptors our raptors player is probably benefiting from like uh let's say the media not being as familiar with their game because there are a lot of people who heard that scotty was a really good defender and kind of just they, they'll they see one of his highlight plays and then slump into the, the feeling of, oh yeah, Scotty Barnes, you know, is as advertised. That's a good defender. And now that like, you know, if you go by like EPM or some catch-alls and even just on off the Raptors defense is now, you know, officially better with him on the floor. And, and because of, as you said, he's closing the gap to Mobley over these, especially over the last like month and a half, but mm-hmm. the first, however, you know, many months of the season, oftentimes he was the worst defender on the floor and that mm-hmm. doesn't mean he's a tragedy. The Raptors had good defenders on the floor. It just means like he he has astronaut tendencies. He wanders out, he floats out. He pushes way too high on guards that he doesn't have the foot speed to contend with and, and still does obviously. Like losing there's a reason Thad Young had a better um time guarding Marcus Smart than Scotty Barnes did. It's because right. Thad was like uh, Marcus Smart is 2 for 11 from 3. We'll let him hang out, and Scotty is like, "I need to rip this dude with, you know, <laughs> extreme ball pressure defense." The same way that Gary, like Marcus Smart, beat Gary Trent off the bounce and beat Scotty off the bounce, but could not, you know, outfox that, which is, I think, an incredible comment on how like guile and smarts can get you by on defense. But anyway, I'm kind of going on a tangent. Scotty, no, I like has, this tangent. <laughs> Scotty was bad, and Mobley was definitively good, albeit in an easier role where he knew exactly what he was doing game to game. And Scotty's was a lot different. Like the, that as you talked about, the Raptors were trying to figure things out when Kawhi left and that impacted Siakam. Now the Raptors defensively are trying to figure things out after Kyle left, and that's affecting everybody, but also Scotty. Like they're, it's all about data. They're trying to figure out, you know, what works, what type of things can we throw at other teams, these schemes, and, uh, you know, Scotty is in the middle of that. And sometimes he's the like the head of the snake in this regard. So he's had a harder job on both ends of the floor, mm-hmm. but Mobley has just outpaced him. But as you said, offensively, uh, Scotty, and this is also like, if people pay attention to the context, what, what is Scotty's job in an off, like in a, a regular game? And what is Mobley's job in a regular game? Mobley may be asked to freestyle on one or two possessions, but most of the time he's going to be receiving, you know, if he's making a basket, it is assisted. And Darius Garland is one of the best pick and roll engines in the NBA. He's still like, you know, his reputation is lagging a little bit behind. He's in Cleveland, but that guy makes like reads out of the pick and roll at a top five rate in the NBA. He just creates so many looks for his teammates and Mobley's on the other side of that. And Scotty is a guy who they're saying, go see if there's a small guy or, you know, even a white guy on the other side of the court and just (laughs) abuse him. And that is such a difficult ask to do in the NBA. There's a reason why we see gifted guys come out of college with, with handles, with the first step, with the shot. And, you know, maybe they have two of the three, but they can't figure out how to score at the NBA level ever. And Scotty in his own unique way that he approaches isolations, the offensive glass, even just like the the quick flashes into post-ups and stuff like that. He has a, a, very unique brand of scoring the basketball and he translated it immediately and and in a way better way than he even accomplished at college like he was as likely to score in single digits you know at the collegiate level as he was in double digits and now he's averaging close to you know 16 points per game at the nba level this is a guy who's being asked to create so often against defense that's that aren't loaded up like they are on cade but against other NBA defenders. There is no advantage given to him. It isn't like Mobley catching the lob. It isn't like Mobley on the roll or you know these, these quick little flashes into you know four-foot post-ups over a guard. It's a guy getting the ball at the 45 extended and being told, like, go get us a bucket. The floor is bent in your favor and let's see what you can do. They're doubling Pascal. They're doubling Fred. Now make it work in isolation. And he does. And as you said, for a guy being called a zero-level scorer, that's kind of insane.
0: I think this is the biggest point to note, is he is someone who, by nature, is extremely unselfish. And Mm -hmm. I think all those early-season conversations where Nick Nurse is telling the media, no, I want him to be more aggressive. I want him to take more shots. He's not shooting enough. He's not doing this enough. He needs to you know, recognize his opportunities more. And it was all to get him to this point that we've seen since the All-Star break, where every time he has a mismatch, he's going right at it. And sometimes, hey, even if it's someone that's right (laughs) who can stick with him physically, he's going right at them too. And to make that transition mentally, um, like I think of Steve Nash and how unselfish he was. Mm -hmm. and yet he was someone who was the best shooter on his team and you know once he went to the warriors he's talked about you know i look back and i feel like i look at steph curry and i say yeah i should have been shooting more um we should have been pushing the pace even more you know and this sort of balance that unselfish players try to find between uh getting the best out of their teammates versus getting the best out of themselves, guess what? Sometimes if the opportunity for you to score is greatest, you have to recognize that over anything that might happen for your teammates. Um, And I think that's the transition that Scotty has made since the All-Star break. And hopefully that is something that will remain consistent going
1: forward. It's the expose him doctrine, right? That the Raptors partake in. Like the, the, the ball ends up in OG's hands, Pascal's hands, Scotty's hands. And it's, you know, everybody yells at the same time, like expose him. This is a team that doesn't run pick and roll. This is a team that wants mismatches and then they'll let Fred run his pick and roll offense. But the big guys are going to work in a different way. And Scotty's ability to help them tilt the floor by leveraging his own scoring ability is, yeah, as you said, it shouldn't be taken for granted. This is a unique thing. Most players can't do this. And it does speak to, you know, Scotty, his ability to input things at game speed and obviously in between games. Because after Nick Nurse openly commented about Scotty not shooting enough threes, then we get roughly a month of basketball where Scotty is shooting, you know, like five threes a game and hitting 40%. That obviously didn't stick, but it's just like, this is a guy who will hear things, be told things, and will immediately start trying to do them on the court. A lot of players are risk averse in the NBA. They they like to play in their own comfort zone, and Scotty is so willing to leave his. And that's that's what fuels breakouts. That's you know you have to go beyond what teams are expecting of you because they game plan around that. And Scotty will have adjustments into the future that certainly are going to be difficult. We've seen it some this year. The way that you know in some in some nights in some possessions teams load up on Scotty the same way they would on on Pascal. Pack line defense, Mm. you know, fill in the gaps, make it so that you're not dealing with your primary anymore. You're dealing with the second level of defense. Pascal said he doesn't even look at his primary anymore. He's just focusing on, you know, three seconds in the key. Where's the rotation been coming from all game? Is that where my pass is? You know, and then if the rotation comes, then I start worrying about that too. But Scotty is a guy who works in isolation and now has to figure out the second level of defense, which he will. He's He's a brilliant young player. But it's it's just really tough to make these changes live. And some rookies do. And those rookies tend to be super, super successful. And I think he's in that boat. He looks to me like he is headed for a rookie contract all-star game, which radically changes how the Raptors are building a team, I think.
0: I Yeah, I, I think I, I'm with you there. All-star is definitely on the cards. I've said before that I think by the end of his rookie contract, um, that final season, he could potentially make an all NBA team. I think he's that special. Mm -hmm. Um, And you look at the team ethos, that's what's going to bring it out. The fact that they will swing for the fences with their players. And we've seen Pascal elevate his game to this level. We've seen Scotty do the things that he's done over the course of the season and gradually improve. You look at, precious Atua. right? They don't mind yeah. going through the growing pains because they look at what the ceiling can be. And for them, it's worth it to swing for that. And heck, I'll go to even Justin Champagne in the G League now taking 10 threes a game. Mm-hmm. Like that is going to get him to a level that can potentially make him a meaningful part of the roster with the big
1: club. And Champ- Champagne going to be there. Like he's, yeah. he's, it's so easy to tell with him. Yeah. And, but these are the things,
0: right? Like you have to be willing to take those struggles. You go back to Pascal that season uh, with the bench mob where he's missed what, 25 three pointers in a row. And everyone's saying, why is this guy shooting threes? And the organization is saying, hey, you are not going to get better at them only taking them in practice. You you have to be willing to expose yourself. You have to be willing to take everything that comes with it, and then you know once you build up that aptitude, both mentally and physically, that this is just a part of your game. That's when the results will start to come.
1: Yeah, I wonder if there's ever been like a thesis paper written on the value of a regular rep versus game rep, and and you mm. know like the. That I feel like that's impossible to figure out, but yeah, well, to put a number on, you just say like, oh yeah, the game rep is more important. And then an essentialist could be like, well, actually it's the exact same for the body, but then how <laughs> does the body connect to the mind? Like what happens in the he- in the brain ends up in the fingers, something like that. Um, but yeah, you talked about Precious Achua, and I think that leads us into the next conversation, which is the, the back end of the Raptors rotation, which for a long time, was A, uncertain, and then B, non-existent, and then C, uh, where it is now, where the Raptors are in a super, super funky place where if they're healthy, they don't have a bench rotation. They have a big rotation. Precious Sachua, Chris Boucher, Thaddeus Young lead off the bench. It is very unique. It is something unto the Raptors. What do you think about How that lines up heading into the end of the season and the playoffs?
0: I've been thinking a lot about this and just comparing it to different teams that play tight rotations in the playoffs. Um, And I think ultimately, you know, a lot of people subscribe to the idea that depth doesn't matter as much in the postseason because you play these tight rotations. And for me, I kind of look at it differently where I say the depth matters. because it gives you different options for that tight rotation in the postseason. There is a series where that young might look better on the court than Chris Boucher. There's a series where it'll be the opposite. There'll be um, another series where, who knows, there might be, you know, a a bit of a place for our our Marty Brooks, and we'll see how those things plays out. Uh, But I think that's how I view it more, where especially with a coach like Nick nurse who likes to do different things uh, and throw different things at opponents. I think having different types of depth contribute to the rotations that you can play in any given series and then give you the best chance to win.
1: Mm -hmm. And uh, well, Kim Birch, how does he fit in there for you?
0: I think it's been a tough season for Kim. I think when you look at just the ups and downs throughout the year, not being able to start out the season, um, which is pretty much the starting point of Precious getting his opportunities. Uh, funny how that works out. But I think he's someone that can contribute. Um, I don't want to say a pinch. That's probably too light. But I think there's very specific scenarios where you would use him. Obviously, you can think of, um you know a boston series even without uh, robert williams i think there's matchups there with uh, daniel thais al horford where he would fit in um obviously he didn't have a good go of it uh, against miami last night that wasn't very effective uh so i think there's certain scenarios where he can help um that short-roll game uh can be important with Fred Van Vliet, but, uh, if he's not able to consistently make that little floater that he likes to go to, uh, if he's not able to make the reads quick enough, then that's where, unless a precious or a Boucher, uh, or that are really struggling, it's hard to see him getting too many opportunities down the stretch.
1: This is kind of where I've been at with it too, is you look at, well, he hasn't scored in three games, by the way. And that's like, a don't know. It's not that many minutes. It's like 20 minutes of game time, but still, um, you're waiting for a guy, as you said, like that short roll game, you run actions on offense to dictate no response from the defense and hopefully to compromise their defensive position. And with Kim not threatening from the middle of the floor, the short roll passing, which is definitely better than average for the center position but it's also short roll passing that basically only extends to the outside of the court. He does not play, make middle, middle. He play makes mm-hmm. middle out. And if the team facing them, like, you know, Boston or, well, he didn't play against Boston, but Minnesota when they played Orlando and Miami, if these teams aren't willing to rotate over to him and are just going to leave like, okay, shoot over our big who's in drop. He's just not, those are just zero possessions for the Raptors. Like that's just time off the shot clock and it creates a reset. And, you know, we've seen, you know, it happened last night too, is like, you know, he takes that corner three and you wonder, wow, how would that possession look if it was Boucher or, or precious or even Thad, you know, all these different opportunities that could come about. And that's where you wonder, is it too easy to adjust for He He plays pretty mistake-free but there's just no punch and you kind of have to, you, well, they'll, they'll decide obviously what that looks like in the playoffs and, you know, the fin the finishing touch on the season, but we'll see. And that's where, you know, precious Achua, I think comes into it where he is definitely not mistake-free, but he gives you a very, very good baseline defensively just because his talent for changing shots at the rim. And, you know, as we saw, especially in the first half against Miami Really rapid um, low man rotations to kind of move guys further along to make them cycle the ball away from a shot at the bucket. He also gives you a lot of maybe not randomness, but versatility offensively in what he's able to provide. And I'm, I'm curious what you think about his offensive game currently. And, and feel free to comment on his defense as well. But his offensive game, in the light of is the off the dribble stuff good in a playoff game or is it only Met like, is it only palatable currently because he's also making just a a huge amount of threes?
0: I think the threes are crucial to anything else he tries to do. Uh, that confidence he has, uh, letting it rip, uh, is incredible to see. Um, but I think you hit the nail on the head there when you spoke about Kem and you know, needing that pe- that punch. Uh, and I think precious. That three ball is what gives him that punch, right? And those attack opportunities that come on poor closeouts or, you know, falling for a pump fake, whatever it might be, uh, I think that's where the rest of the, his game can evolve. Um, and obviously, there's a long way to go with his finishing around the basket. But if that three ball, which no one would have suspected, becomes what gives him that punch, I think that's where in the playoffs that those dribble opportunities will come um, because at a certain point, you're just going to have to respect it.
1: It it seems to me that, well, see, I'm like, it's a foregone conclusion that in the first round precious is going to give you 20 plus points in one game. Like he's going to hit three threes. He's going to, he's going to attack closeouts. And that like, that's another thing too, right. Is against the Celtics, when the Raptors in that playoff series went small, OG being the screener, getting the ball on the roll and making these progressive reads against a moving defense or being able to go all the way to the rim was a huge deal. And Precious, as we saw in that game against, especially like Philly, getting a closeout from a guy like Tyrese Maxey, giving that little pump and then that slick drop dribble into the lane, getting to like eight feet and hitting a floater, that is pretty rare not not for a guy his size, a lot of 6'9 guys do it, but a lot of guys who are 6'9 who can also defend the rim on the other end, who also are extremely heavily correlated with rebounding more of their defensive possessions, and a guy who also grab you a bunch of extra possessions on the offensive glass. There's just a really unique mix of skills going on with Precious. And if they hit all at the right time, that's when, like, if Precious plays a really good series... The Raptors have a chance to beat, I don't know about anybody in the first round, but they have a chance to beat a lot of teams in the first round because good Precious is like just, it it tips the scale so far one way, because you don't have to live with like what the Raptors are doing at the start of the season, which was, oh yeah, the offense is significantly better with Kim on the floor because he just makes simple reads and Precious doesn't know how to move yet. And then the defense was significantly better with Precious and he had to choose, okay, are we going offense or defense? He allows you to just choose both, and I find that fascinating to see if it that'll be the outcome, you know,
0: yeah, I think a good precious in a series, uh, you look at, okay, maybe you'd say even with good precious, the bucks will come out of that, but it'll be it'll be a competitive series. Um, good precious going up against the Miami heat. I think, you know you probably swing towards Miami in six or seven. But I think good Precious against Boston now without Robert Williams would be really interesting to see. Um, You look at them against Philadelphia, I think that's where Precious could be a huge swing, right? When when you look at uh, how that matchup played out when the Raptors went and beat them on the road, and how important Precious was in that game. That's something that you see. If he's good, you know, five out of say seven games in that series, you might come out of that series.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, he he blows my mind, dude. You know, taking like even you look at the the big moments defensively that aren't just the passive defensive rebounding and rim protection that he brings. But the standout games where he was picking up Giannis three-quarter court for the second half of that win in January, he guarded Embiid as like the primary defender for much of their win against the 76ers. But he closed out the game guarding James Harden. And he, he also has like standout performances against Luka Doncic. And this is a... He's a very unique defender. I, in a playoff series, I struggle to even think of all the different situations they'll try and use him in because he's... Well, even when they played the Lakers, LeBron did not take anything but a fadeaway on Precious Achua. Like, between Harden, yeah. Embiid, LeBron, Giannis, these are just all 30... Like, not Harden anymore, but these are just 30-point-per-game scorers that are radically changed off of their offensive game plan because of Precious Achua. I mean, the Hawks stopped running pick and roll because Precious was the, the big defender. They just, they started running isolations for Trey so he wouldn't be involved in actions anymore. That that <laughs> blows my mind, dude. It's crazy. Yeah. Though. No, his, his ceiling
0: defensively is as high as anyone's. Um, I think... In some ways, uh, and you can tell me if you disagree, he's like a bigger, stronger version of Mikhail Bridges, if that makes sense. Um, where I think he can just cover all these gaps, um, he can stick with you in single coverage. Um, and then, you know, because of his length, when he's vertically contesting, it's very difficult to score.
1: That's that's an interesting comp. I some of the fluidity, you know, tracking around screens and even on the offensive end, like the, the two dribble pull-up or one dribble pull-up, I can I see some fluidity there. But he's just way stronger too, right? Yeah. Like these these guys who rely on strength creation, like Lebron, Giannis, Luca, e- even Jimmy, right? These guys who try and get into Precious's body and are shocked at how little he moves mm-hmm. um in these in these defensive possessions that's where a lot of the value lies, but yeah, the fluidity to track guys across the court. I definitely, I can see a my comp there as well. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting one. Not one I would have uh, thought of.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, realistically precious, like offensively, there are guys who are one of one and I think we might, you know, this goes back to the conversation before where we need to see it. Um, on a larger scale to be able to say these types of things, but he is very mm-hmm. much a one of one defender. Right. Um, and, and if he can maintain this trajectory that he's shown, uh, then I think we'll be having that conversation. If he has, uh, a decisive impact in a playoff series or, you know, uh, into next season.
1: Mm-hmm. And just, you know, like I, I wrote about it. You probably saw me comment about it on Twitter, but like, The Raptors running some of their favorite horns actions with him as the trigger man and Mm. him succeeding in the decision making is pretty meaningful because they, some of their horn sets, they don't run unless they have like three of or two out of three of um, Scotty, Pascal, or OG on the floor. But Precious plugged in as one of those guys and they actually succeeded in it. That's a very unique thing. And it was against Orlando. But Orlando's also like at that point, they were the fourth best defense since the all-star break. Like they're a young team and they guard good really well for these stretches. And then it drops off a cliff, but precious is making things happen as a guy making reads. So yeah, really interesting. Uh, Before we get out of here though, let's uh, let's do wins and losses predictions for the last four games of the season, which is Atlanta, Philly, Houston, and then the Knicks. Uh, I'll go first with what I think will happen, and then feel free to tell me where I might be wrong. So Atlanta, I'm predicting a win. Philly, mm-hmm. I'm predicting a loss. And then Houston and New York, I'm predicting wins.
0: Very interesting. Um, I am going to go with wins across the board. 4-0. to finish out um i think the only reason there might be a loss in the next game is if it's entirely meaningless Mm. and they just go the rest route um actually you know what i do i i'm just going to add a caveat to the philly game if og plays that game it's a win if he doesn't it's a loss okay um and i think That's an interesting conversation that the Raptors have to have here on out, because once you play that game on the 10th, uh, at this point, I would like to presume that they're not going to be in the play-in tournament. So you're looking at nearly six days off, um, Mm -hmm. or precisely six days off. Uh, and how do you view, you know, just resting OG with whatever is going on with his hip? And so do you just let him take, you know, almost two weeks off here? Uh, or uh, do you try to maintain that rest versus rust equation and have him out there a little bit?
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I, I was just assuming that he'd be back. But yeah, that's a good one. He he also kind of changes how Atlanta wants to attack the Raptors defensively as well. Yes. The, obvi- obviously, when the Raptors beat, because they've only beaten Trey Young once this year, the other games that they won didn't have Trey. And then they obviously mm-hmm. lost the last time, but OG radically changes how they're able to attack. So yeah, that's, that's interesting. If he's back for that one too, hmm. I won't add any caveats, but your, your caveat makes a ton of sense. Yeah. I like that. But four and O is, is really a, that's optimistic. We love, we love optimism. That's, that's good.
0: I mean, they've kind of swung my perception of them, right. As opposed to, coming into the season thinking they'd be around a 500 team. They'd for sure be in the play in tournament. I think the team we've seen since December 31st is just drastically different. And I do think that as with most Raptors teams, they're not getting the respect that they deserve partially because they're extremely young. And so it's hard to anticipate these things. Right. Uh, Mm -hmm. and there's, uh, that prove them mentality where, oh, okay, well, they haven't done it in the playoffs yet. Are they this good yet? But you look back uh, since December 31st, I believe the Raptors are 32 and 16 and the Miami Heat are also 32 and 16 or they're virtually identical. And so you look at the way one team is perceived versus the other, um, you look at the big wins, uh, that the Raptors have had over extremely good opponents, you kind of wonder, hey, why aren't they part of bigger conversations?
1: Yeah, they're, I guess, what are they, 25 and 17 now? Versus the, like, uh, what was it? I can't remember. Plus 500 teams, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like that. So
0: on the season now versus teams 500 and above, they are 24 and 22 hmm what's for the, ESPN
1: I'm trying to find there was a it was like versus top four teams in the conference or something like that do you remember a stat like right that floating around yeah that was extremely high for the Raptors right yeah um, I thought they were 24 and 17 and then they beat Philly and but they've lost a couple so yeah something around there right well I mean if it was just the top four teams it wouldn't be that many games right it'd be a lot yeah. less than that um, what kind so of stats e- am I looking at, dude? I'm, I'm in the deep end over here. <laughs> <laughs> so ESPN
0: has like, if you just go to the expanded, uh, version of their standings. Yeah. Yeah. Walk me through it. Uh, so yeah. Are you at the NBA standings page? No, you're just, you're, you're giving me a, a tour. Okay. Of yeah. So when you go to the NBA standings page, uh, usually you're just at the regular stuff that you see home road, all of that. Uh, but then there's a tab right beside the standings that says expanded. And so when you click there, that's when you can see uh, the record versus teams that are 500 or better. And so that's where the Raptors are 24 and 22. And so that, that's the other thing too, is like this can change over time, where, if depending on there's a team that's sort of flirting with that 500 mark. Um, and, you know, Atlanta, for example, is a team that, for a long time, the season was below 500, and the Raptors having a losing record against them didn't matter. And then now they go above 500, and it does. Right? So,
1: oh, that's totally what it was. Yeah. Okay.
0: I so got little you. things like
1: that can make a difference. I got you. You've you've put my mind at ease. Now now <laughs> the statistics that I was citing, it, albeit still wrong, I, I can see where I erred. Thank thank you for that. No
0: no problem no problem
1: happy to help. <laughs> yes. Yes. Very helpful. Uh, before we get out of here, is there any parting shots you want to give to the listeners?
0: No, just, uh, you know, uh, you can check out my work as usual at raptors.com at CBC sports. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Vivek M. Jacob. And besides that Samson, thank you for having me on. Always enjoy these basketball chats with you. Um, and the personal chats that we have before we, we start the recording.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, I wish you the best uh, Coming down the stretch here Hopefully it'll be a fun time for all of us
1: Thanks man That's, uh, that's kind of what I try and be a cool guy So I can pull better guests than usual You know like they're like Oh yeah you know I, I'm going to go talk on this podcast But also the appeal of you know chatting with Sam Just you know besides that I'm trying <laughs> to be that guy so I can You know there's always those like journalists Who have that extra cachet Because they're just cool as hell I'm trying mm. to be that guy,
0: you know? Okay. You, you mm. might need some uh, tutoring sessions with uh, Alex Wong, if that's the case.
1: He's He's got the cachet. He's, he's, he's probably cool at the top of the food chain when it comes to that. Oh, cool guy, Alex. I got to say, yeah, <laughs> I, I, did, I did feel that. You know, we We did a podcast in February. And yeah, got major cool guy vibes from him, which I hadn't talked to him. Well, actually, you were there when uh, I got to meet him for the first time, actually. Yeah, cool guy, Alex. Uh, <laughs> big shout out for our guy, Alex, uh, yeah. on the show. But yeah, Vivek, thank you so much for coming on, man. Thanks so much for having me, Samson. Always a blast. It was a, it was a real pleasure. Okay, listener, uh, thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, whether you got into this in the morning or at night, have a blessed day and goodbye.